The digital technology is moving forward at amazing pace. And this day and age, we can create almost anything digitally. When we watch a film or a commercial, we rarely think of the fact that the animal in the film probably is digital. But when it comes to humans, it gets trickier. When Peter Cushing was digitally resurrected for Rogue One, half of the cinema-goers said, wow, and half of them said, what the f***? Some believed that it looked totally perfect, and others thought that it looked fake. So why? Why is it so hard to create a digital human face that looks totally convincing? And how do you do it? Welcome to Yellow Brick Road. Today we're going to talk about digital humans. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagerian and this is yet another episode of your very special friend in the VFX podcast world, Yellow Brick Road, a podcast about visual effects, animation and digital mastery. Yes, today we're going to talk about digital humans and faces in particular. And to help me, I have three distinguished guests from Goodbye Kansas. Jonas Törnqvist, Nils Lerin and Sigtor Kildahl. Welcome guys. Thank you. Thank you. Neither of you have visited our little podcast before, so let's start with some introductions. Niels, uh, you work with animation and scanning pipeline development at Goodbye Kansas, but but you have a long history from the gaming business, right? How, how did it all start? Uh, yeah, actually, it started in the VFX industry for, for commercials, uh, but then I felt like I wanted to do more R&D, and the commercial projects are so sh- short. Um So I started at Starbreeze in 2007, um, doing pipeline work for animation, facial rigging, uh, just solving a bunch of technical uh, problems. Uh, And I worked there for a couple of years on Syndicate, Riddick, and then uh, went over to Machine Games, Uh, worked on Wolfenstein, I've been at DICE. You've been around. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In Sweden, mostly. Uh, But now it's good to be working with all sorts of uh, projects, games, commercials, movies. Mm. And faces in particular. Yeah, yeah. Like, what I like so much about my work is that there's a lot of different, um, like, technical problems, but also artistic and... uh, Especially with faces, you need to be involved in everything from capturing to, you know, the final product. All the different disciplines need to come together yeah. in harmony. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> Jonas, these days you're obviously then deeply involved with the Good Pie Kansas face department. But, but when and how did you find your way into the digital world? Uh, well, it's... A long time ago now. Uh, I think I started right after school, after high school. Uh, I think '98. Uh, I started working for a small company called uh, Cork Eken, mm. doing games, some commercials, and other things as well. Uh, and I very quickly got fascinated by digital characters, even even back then. And so then I worked a little bit in the gaming industry. I worked for for Lionhead Studios in in the UK, 
uh, worked at Dice and, and uh, Avalanche here in Stockholm. Uh, before starting to move more into uh, films and VFX, so I went to to UK again and worked for Framestore, um, the the Golden Compass, some Harry Potter films, mm. um, and then uh, went down to New Zealand to uh, to Weta um, and worked. Uh, and that's when I started transitioning more from from characters to to face. Being more interested in 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 the facial performance and um, and and the the blend shape rigs that they create uh, down there. Um, so there, I worked on the Hobbit films, uh, Avengers, uh, some on the on, on some of the ape, uh, the first ape film as well. Um, before, yeah, going back to uh, to Stockholm again. Great. And Sigtor, how did it start for you? Well, it's a similar story to this gentleman. Um, started off in the game industry. Uh, we all met actually at Starbase yeah. back in the day. <laughs> uh, so that was our first connection. Uh, worked at uh, Riddick and uh, uh, Darkness and a few other titles. And then after that, I moved down to, to Wellington, New Zealand uh, to work at Weta. Uh, where I got to start off working on Avatar. Then we got to uh, work on uh, Hobbit, uh, Tintin, Planet of the Apes, um, both on shoot and on post-production, uh, which was really helpful being able to see both sides sides of the, the production. Uh, most of the time you're just focusing on, on one single part, uh, but for uh, for those projects, uh, I was lucky enough to to be able to assist in both both parts of the production. After Weta, uh, we moved back to Sweden, and uh, I realized that we had the knowledge to animate beautiful faces, um, but just didn't have the tools to do it. So we uh, that's where we got together, and we we started this little group. So, so the three of you basically got together and, and started a company specializing in this. Yeah. And and now you're, you're like the core team of, of the Good Back Kansas face yeah. department, I would say. Yeah. I had taken some time off to, to go back to study. Mm. And then I was eager to get back into the business. And so it's good timing for me. And I think for you it was also... Yeah, and I, I remember me and Sigtor did a small job for, for visual arts, I believe, where we... Um, we did some some photogrammetry scanning uh, for a for a dice commercial, uh, and that's when we started talking about you know building a scanner and, and mm. the fact that there's something that you get very used to when you're working on these big productions that they all they all, they all have all the tools all the software already built, so it's so easy to to just create. Uh, but when we came back here to, to Stockholm, we, we realized that a lot of these tools uh, we didn't have. Mm. And that just makes things a lot harder. Uh, we had the knowledge, but yeah, not the tools. Exactly. Yeah. So we just had to to create them. Yeah. In the beginning, we started looking uh, nearby. Can we can we scan anywhere in Sweden? Yeah. Can we? <laughs> what do we have available? And then nothing was available. So the easiest step was just to build it from scratch. Yeah, we didn't really want to build it ourselves. Actually, <laughs> 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 we sort of got forced Out of into doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mentioned Grand Moff Tarkin and Peter Cushing in Rogue One. What's your opinion about that illusion? Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were talking about it when we when we first saw it, and uh, I think we all pretty much agreed on that it it was very clear that it was that it was CG. Mm-hmm. Like I remember seeing the hair from from the back, and you know I didn't I had actually read about it before that he was going to be in it, CG, and I was immediately like taken <laughs> taken away from the illusion. Uh, Started a while, but I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's sort of had the same experience as you did, Nils. It was such a beautiful, perfect-looking film up Mm. until that point, Um, and that's not trying to take anything away from the. It was a a tremendous challenge, and they did a very good job. Mm. Absolutely, because it's so hard to do what they were trying to do. Um, So it was sort of, you know predestined to to fail. But but is it also because we know that Peter Cushing is dead? Absolutely. And and that's also what makes it so hard. The fact that the audience knows that he can't be there for real. They Mm. must have done something. Uh, But also the fact that they can't use uh, Peter Cushing himself. They can't scan Peter Cushing. They can't use his performance. They have to rely on, on on another actor for the performance. Someone trying to mimic yeah, Peter, and and obviously that's not there's there's so, so many sort of filters that makes things look look worse. You yeah. know? Um, so I think they did a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But I think on all all like compositing, uh, rendering, uh, and also animation, I think they were just they were almost there, but not not quite. It's also tricky because Peter Cushing had this kind of way of acting where he hardly moves his lips, for example. Mm. Yeah, very subtle. So he kind of looks fake even when he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, but let's start from the beginning. When did they first start to try to create photorealistic digital versions of humans for films or games? Or? Well, there's... Um, if you go way back, you have some early attempts... Uh, where uh, well, <clears throat> we actually looked it up. I mean, uh, I think it was '87. Uh, there were some uh, digital replicas of Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that. Uh, but I think it's more important that maybe to, to talk about the, the attempts where it became more sort of yeah, m- accepted or yeah. used, uh, or, or maybe more 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 like how we do. Things today, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Ma- the first Matrix movie is, is a is a good example of uh, of that when when they started to rely a lot more on scanning uh, and and also technology had moved forward so they could the rendering was more advanced. Uh, mm-hmm. They the the facial rigs that they used to to animate the faces were also more like we do today, uh, and. Uh, and they went for photorealism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they went for photorealism. I know that you know, Digital Domain did some some uh, pretty nice uh, stuff in the commercial space before that with the digital version of uh, Michael Jordan, for example. That uh, mm. also, I think, was around the same time, but probably a couple of years before uh, the Matrix movies. Mm. Um, but I think Matrix was also 
the first time sort of the public started talking about digital doubles and digital humans. Um, I, I remember th- there was a lot of talk about that uh, around that time. Lots and lots of agent myths. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then looking back at that now, I mean, uh, people were very impressed when that first, mm. you know, for, especially the first film. But but looking at it now, it, it has aged. Uh, yeah. Maybe not not very well. This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. We've all heard about this expression, uncanny valley. But if anyone out there hasn't, how would you describe that phrase? What does it mean? Hmm. Yeah, it's... I think uh, you know because we are so trained to looking at uh, at faces. You know we can see every the, the smallest subtle de- detail. If it's off, it sort of ruins the. Uh, you know, we, we instantly recognize it as fake. Mm-hmm. And with faces, is you know if you do something stylized, something n- not very realistic, you can get away with a lot. But the closer you get to reality, to to a real face, mm-hmm. our brain gets pickier. Uh, so even if everything is perfect, but the eyelashes look wrong, for example, the entire effect is ruined. Yeah. So everything has to be as close as perfect as possible for the illusion to to hope. But then if you do something more like Pixar, where you where you simplify and stylize, uh, you can get a face that still looks pretty realistic, but in a stylized way, and and your brain will accept it mm. uh, a lot easier. Um, than, for example, with uh, Tarkin. Yeah. yeah, I think it comes from the um, from the concept of you have, you have this uh, curve where the faces gets more realistic and it looks better and better and better. Uh, sort of what we've been seeing with games, like they become more realistic, it looks better and better. Mm. But then when you come to the point where some movies are now, it gets so realistic, but not a hundred percent there, but like ninety nine percent there, yeah. and then it starts to feel scary because it gets so close to what we're used to seeing in real life, but not quite there. You see those small details like the lips not touching correctly or colliding with... Uh, and then it's just off-putting. <laughs> then... <laughs> because it's scary to, to look at something that realistic. And that's still not quite. That's true with, with dolls and not, not just CD graphics, yeah. but everything, anything trying to replicate humans. You know, yeah, that's true. Realistic dolls yeah. can be quite scary. It can be very scary. <laughs> Sometimes like Madame Tussauds and that mm. sort of thing it can also be yeah, a bit creepy. You know? yeah. It's almost there, but there's something and it also becomes very hard to put the finger on what's what's wrong. Why, why does it look yeah. wrong? Yeah. yeah, that's a fact like everybody in the world is an expert at judging faces. Yeah. So everybody knows if it's wrong, but even though you can't say why it's wrong. uh, So you don't need to be in the industry in order to read if a face or an expression is is off-putting or not. That's a huge challenge. I think creating a a still face uh, that's not moving is something that it's, you know, something we can do fairly easily today. Uh, but as soon as it starts to move, you know, we are so sensitive to this sort of micro expressions, and mm. and you can see if someone is is stressed or 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 getting angry or something. Our brains are so so attuned to that. It becomes a lot more challenging when someone is talking or emoting uh, 
on screen. Yeah, from an animation perspective, the the shots that are hardest are exactly the the ones that are uh, subtle and toned down, because you read so much into the expression. If you have somebody screaming or crying like extreme, then they are usually the easy ones mm -hmm. to to pull off. Mm -hmm. But the subtle, uh, where you have to really read what the actor or character is feeling, those are the really difficult ones. Mm -hmm. So. We talked about how, how you decided to get together and build that that face scanner in Uppsala. How, how did that project start, and, and how did you do it, and what is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it started like I, like I mentioned before. Uh, I think the first time we talked about it was when we were were scanning for for this uh, dice project, scanning a face. Then we were just walking around with one camera. Uh, taking multiple shots uh, to get a, a scan of, of a face. And obviously the actor moves slightly uh, while doing that, so you don't get a very good uh, quality result. And, and we we had a lot of trouble getting the lighting to be even, and, and um, so, so the result was not very good. It was usable, but not very good. Uh, so that's when we started talking about uh, building a scanner. And... and you know, the scanner we have now is not the one that we built back then. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, I when, you, when you go around with just one camera, it, it's hard enough to have the person sit still just having a neutral expression. Yeah. But you immediately realize the limitations as soon as you start doing expressions. Uh, because we, when we build a facial rig, we need to have a bunch of different expressions scanned, mm. like smiling or uh, doing different phonemes uh, that you use when you're talking. And, yeah, sitting still and closing your eyes for a minute, that's fine. But keeping a smile in exactly the same position for one minute and while you draw around photographing, that's yeah. that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, so that's when we, we built the, the first version of the of the scanner that is just photogrammetry-based. I don't, I don't remember how many We actually built uh, quite a few of them yeah, yeah, <laughs> over sure, the sure. years. <laughs> yeah, the first version was just uh, tripods. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a bunch of cameras. I think we had 24 cameras at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we built another version with 30 cameras on a rig, uh, aluminum frame rig. Uh, and at that point we started using more lights and, and having polarized lights yes. as well. And then we went on to build the, the dome that we have today that has also seen quite a few iterations and has many more to come. So <laughs> yeah. it's constant development. Absolutely. So how, how many cameras are there in, in that dome today? Well, that's, uh, today we have 80 cameras wow. on that dome. But um, nowadays it's not that much about the cameras. Uh, we notice that most people, when we talk about scanning, they, they focus on the cameras. Uh, but we kind of moved past that and, and now we're focusing about the light and the quality of the images that we're getting out of the scanner. Uh, so we could probably slim down on the amount of cameras. Um, we have 80 just because we want to have 360 and we're scanning more than just uh, faces in the scanner. We're scanning hands and, and other things in the scanner. So that, that's why we have a high number of cameras. But, but uh, the secret ingredient to, to the sauce is, uh, is the lighting yeah. that we're using. Yeah. And you call it a vectorgrammetry face scanner. What, what does vectorgrammetry mean? Well, that's just something that we came up with. Because it's, <laughs> it's just because a made-up word. Yeah, because it's easier for us to... 
but it sort of describes a little bit the process of, of uh, you know, it's not just photogrammetry. It's working with, with vectors uh, that we get through uh, through the lights, basically. So, like 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 Sitor says, I think we have three almost four hundred uh, lights uh, in the in the current in the current scanner, uh, and using that and, and that light information, uh, we can we can get much more uh, detailed, uh, you know, the, the microstructure of the skin and mm. sort of thing. So each light is individually uh, controlled, uh, and we have two sets of lights. So we have polarized and unpolarized lights. So we, uh, plus we have uh, regular flash as well. Yeah. And the reason for having both polarized and unpolarized is to get the reflection uh, oh, yeah. properties of, of the material. So you, yeah, you, you get some uh, one set of images without any reflections. So the skin looks a lot more saturated. Uh, and uh, less detailed, also in some ways. Okay. And then you, yeah. And then you get a, a, a second layer that is then just the specular, the, just the light reflecting off the surface. Mm. Does not get uh, diffused and uh, subsurface scattered. Uh, so that light is just uh, gray shaded, uh, very detailed. You see all the small sort of uh, bumps and pores on uh, on the face. Uh, I've seen pictures of of the actor uh, Sverre Gudnason in that dome when you worked with Borg versus McEnroe. But that was an earlier version of the scanner, or how long ago was that? What? No, that was the current version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or 60 cameras. Yeah, yeah, an iteration of the current yeah, version. And, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it, the, the scanner we have today looks the same, but it's a lot more refined. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if that was version 2.0, then we're getting close to a 3.0, I suppose. Uh, and, and what work did you do on, on the Borg film? Uh, for Borg, we uh, we got contacted by a Haymaker that we worked uh, closely with uh, when they needed help to uh, fill the uh, arena with the crowd, uh, just uh, to, to uh, have, um, what do you call it? Spectators. Spectators in... The, in um, for Wimbledon. Wimbledon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone for tennis? Well, this will make them cringe. And then we started talking about uh, how they were going to do it on other shots. Uh, and we got almost more interested in the face replacement for a Borg. Uh, just out of technical perspective, how would they do it? And... Um, they thought it wasn't going to be possible to do it, especially not on on a tight budget and, and the type of production they had. Uh, and we were <laughs> completely coming from the game side of business, uh, realizing that we're doing this every day for video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was actually for us not a huge challenge to, to pull those shots off. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you put very goodness on the Borg actor, his face on a real tennis player, so to say. Yeah. So basically the same effect that there's been so much hassle about that we did for I, Tonya. Yeah. Where they re- replaced the face there. Because, you know, Sverre, you know, he, he got pretty good at playing tennis, but he couldn't do some of these, like like serving is something mm. that's incredibly tricky to do correct and, and make yeah. it look like you're a professional. 
so they had to use a, a, a professional tennis player for some shots, and, and then we had to replace his head with with uh, Sveris. I've heard somewhere that, that the current setup you have is one of the most advanced in the world. Is that true? When it comes to the 3D scanner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is, there's not that many uh, scanners out there that can compete with us when it comes to quality. Yes. So, yeah, I'd say so. But everyone has slightly different takes on, on how to do this. And it's hard to, to sort of rank them uh, all, yeah. all together. But we are definitely up there, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's also uh, a lot of companies focus on just scanning. Uh, while we do uh, animation, we, we, I mean, we record for example, Sverrir, we went to Prague and we recorded the face animation uh, when he was playing tennis, just so we would have that. Uh, so when we animated the face, we would be as true, as accurate to, to Sverrir's performance. Mm. Um, so we basically cover that entire pipeline, mm. which uh, I think gives us an edge uh, when it comes to scanning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we said before, we didn't even want to build the scanner in the beginning. So <laughs> it was just—it's just a tool that we have. Uh, um. So, so let's just, for argument's sake, say that we we would like to do a, a scene with me, uh, <laughs> a digital copy of me. Uh, the first step would obviously be to put me in in that scanner uh, and take all those pictures. Yeah. Uh, um, what happens next after that? We would scan. Uh, not just your neutral face, but also all these expressions, um, probably 70, 80 different uh, scans. And how do you do that? Be angry, be more angry. Yeah, yeah we, have a, we have a set of um, expressions that we go through with everyone. Uh, it's, it's trying to take the more difficult expressions that you have in the face that are a combination of different like muscle groups mm. and uh, isolate them into just one muscle for example, so that we can combine these different expressions to create more complex expressions. So just smiling, for example, you're, you usually use a couple of these base expressions that we have. Mm -hmm. So you might be some uh, lowering the lower lip, for example, to show some teeth, and you might squint a little bit with your eyes and uh, that sort of thing. So it's a mul multiple different scanned expressions that we combine into making these uh, Believable expression. You must have lots and lots of knowledge about muscles and, and how a face is. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in looking in the mirror, <laughs> 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 trying different things. Yeah. So we yeah we go through all the expressions with the actor. Uh, sometimes multiple takes uh, because you need to learn what that actor looks like when they're doing the expression, which sometimes takes a few iterations to to see how that face behaves. Mm. And that's almost the most important step, you know, obviously getting ev everything as, as as correct as possible uh, with the actor. You know, if, if you if you rush through that and you get bad data, then you're going to have a lot more problems later down uh, in the in the pipeline when, when you're continuing to, to to different steps, you know, further down. But after that, it's it's, um, uh, you know, you have to take all these images and you have to build the scan data from that. Uh, and then each scan doesn't have any correlation to the next scan. You know, they are just they have no connection whatsoever. So then we have to take our topology uh, and basically make uh, topologize all these scans. 
And that's basically ma making them um, uh, compatible with each other so mm. that you can blend shape from, from one scan to another scan. Mm. Uh, and after that, we have all the, the, you know, like you said, we have to know a lot about the facial muscles, but we also have to know about, you know, the, the look that part, like the eyes. We have very complicated models describing how the, how the eyes look, the actual eyeball how that deforms when it moves around in the so socket uh, and that sort of thing. And uh, we have to add things such as beard and, and, and hair and, mm. uh, you know, create all these different texture maps that goes into create, uh, making the skin look uh, believable. Um, and after that, you know, even though the, you know, some actors are, are very good at doing these sort of expressions, there's still a lot of work just cleaning cleaning these scan data up. It's very hard, for example, to, to smile without uh, activating a lot of other muscles. Mm. So we have to sort of mask those out to separate. So a lip corner puller is basically just the corner of the lips moving, moving upwards. And then massage everything together so that it, it works uh, so that the animator can have control and then recreate that smile by adding all these different muscle, muscles uh, back together again. So, so the, the kind of rigging of the face is done simultaneously uh, as you... Yeah, you know. the, the, there is, there is, there's no real sharp border between rigging and modeling uh, when it comes... Not the way we are working. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the rigging is done in, in the modeling uh, as, as well. Uh, yeah, that, that, that has kind of merged into the same task. Like creating the expressions is, is the rigging. Mm -hmm. in, uh, yeah. So before, when we worked with games before, for example, where everything was uh, joints in the face, uh, that was usually uh, part of my work, uh, creating the rigs, moving the joints into the right places to create these expressions. But I'm not an art artist in that sense. I'm not as good as Jonas here in creating believable faces. So that's what's really good about this, is that the artists can go in and really... Because, they, you know, they make the character look believable, but mm -hmm. only neutral before. Yeah. Uh, and then someone else made the expressions and they had to work together, which wasn't always the case. Um, but now when Jonas makes the character, he also makes, you know, the, f the full character. What does the yeah. character look like when he's smiling and uh, screaming? And, and that was something that was very sort of like an eye-opener when, when I started working at Weta, how they... You know, they never approved the character in 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 a neutral pose. No. You, know, you 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 wanted to see the character smiling and and, and being angry and 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 sort of develop the character in by looking at him in this in these different poses. It becomes a lot trickier that way. But mm. also, I think the final character becomes a lot more believable, a lot more realistic when you when you work in in, in that way. Yeah. So you sort of work in 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 like four four dimensions, not only like uh, the static uh, pose, but like in different poses and in, in different expressions. We'll use laser shears for the hairline, micro plugs for body hair. We'll do an abdominoplasty, take care of those uh, love handles. But all that's the easy part. Here's the real science. This is a state-of-the-art morphogenetic template. The inside then you have a, a face that can move and do all these expressions. But but you mentioned the the problem with animation to, to get like realism. Uh, how do you solve that? 
Well, what we get out of uh, the Jonas when, when uh, the rig is delivered is basically a, a puppet of the actor's face that we can control um, uh, on channels, basically sliders that we have to control each muscle. Uh, and with and that, how many muscles would that be? We we have it in channels. Uh, channels. So, uh, it, yeah. It's like it's. I think we have somewhere around seventy uh, animatable controllers yeah. uh, for the face. But then there's more shapes uh, in the rig than mm. that. But they get fired automatically by the rig. Yeah. So that part of the rig is still uh, valid. Uh, the rigging work, um, making those fire at the correct time. And, So, uh, so the face doesn't break when you combine all these different anim animation uh, channels. Mm. So then we get the uh, face video that we record from the actor, um, since we place a camera in front of the actor, even when they were playing tennis. Mm. So with Bori, uh, we had a camera um, just to get the, the best view of the, uh, the face motion. And then that is tracked and solved onto these channels as a first pass. So the animator that starts working on it has a, a foundation um, uh, with motion that you can start polishing. Uh, so it's very similar to body motion capture um, where you track the, the actor's motion and you deliver that to the animator to start working off. Mm. Um, the key here, uh, especially on projects like Avatar, was to stay 100% true to the actor's performance and not uh, deviate from uh, from their their performance. And even on, on films like uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, where you have apes with different uh, facial structure, you still have to convey what the actor is trying to, uh, to uh, the performance of the actor mm. has to stay, stay true. Um, that, that's very important to stay realistic to what they deliver yeah and also even even though the the final model doesn't look exactly like the person we scan we still prefer to use the scan of a person looking either the the actor doing a performance or someone that looks uh, very similar to the final 3d model mm. so if we were scanning you it might not look like you in the end it could still be altered to work with the client's uh, concept They would probably like to change it. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I like the idea of thinking of it as, as digital makeup. Um, yeah. It does make it easier for, for everybody if, if you think in those terms, even though it, it might not be completely accurate. But it's uh, still a, a, a way of thought that, that makes it easier to work. Yeah, and we found that it's, it's key to take as much as you can from, from reality uh, in terms of how, how the face behaves. So if we have a scan as the ground, it's going to help us making believable expressions. And you can constantly see that happening in, for example, Gollum. The, the first design was less of Andy Serkis in Gollum, uh, and it just didn't look quite right. So mm -hmm. they started to incorporate more and more of, of Serkis features, you know, while still looking like, like Gollum, but they added a bit of the corner of the mouth, you know, the, the thickness of his lips and that sort of thing, uh, details around the eyes. So not getting Gollum to look like Andy Serkis, but just incorporating some of his like mannerism and the way he, he looks into the Gollum model 
uh, and that helped tremendously uh, later on. So how has all this technique evolved in the last 10 years, you say, or 15 years, and, and what, what does the future look like? Well, I think in, in the last 10 years, uh, I don't think the techniques have evolved that much. I mean, they were still using head-mounted cameras, uh, uh, fax rigs, as we call them, you know, breaking down the, the rig into muscle groups. Uh, they were still scanning uh, uh, 10 years ago. So I don't think things have changed that much. Everything has gotten a lot better. Mm. Um, I think especially on on the rendering part, uh, has, and the software has improved tremendously there. It was, 10 years ago, it was hard to, with subsurface scattering and, and re- realistic-looking hair. That's a lot simpler um, today. But we don't use any special software or or to or techniques really that they didn't use 10 years ago um, or, we, what softwares are you using we are mainly using maya uh, for um, f- for building the rigs um, for animation it's yeah same similar yeah. yeah but then you need um, custom software to do what maya doesn't do which is mm. like uh, solving the animation from the 2D video to the puppet. That's something you need to create yourself or there are different solutions available that you can yeah. purchase. But And I think that's one of the things that has evolved maybe mostly in the, in the last couple of years um, that there are software available for that mm-hmm. to start with. And I think maybe yeah, when, when I started I don't think there were any no. uh, not, not alternatives for that. No, but uh, uh, ILM and these sort of studios probably had them internally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's become more available. Yeah. I yeah. mean, especially on the hardware side. When we started, there wasn't many companies selling uh, 3D scanners or mm-hmm. or even parts to to build your own 3D scanner. But now there are, are more companies selling. Uh, if you just want to do photogrammetry, for example, yeah. uh, there, there's quite quite an array of uh, companies doing that. And we are developing our own hardware as well. Mm. The, you know, potential in the future we, we could share with, with other people, with other companies that want to do the same thing that we do. Yeah. I think it's looking into the future. I think it's interesting in like iPhone X, for example, and the, the sensors that comes with that, uh, with that phone mm. for um, uh, driving a digital face. Um, you know, they use it for uh, emojis, but you you can use it for a lot more advanced stuff than that. Um, and I, I also think what's happening with uh, with VR and 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 you know, I think think things are going to move pretty fast from here on out. Yeah. Uh, I think AI is also something that's a lot of a lot of uh, companies are looking into um, using AI to to uh, drive faces and, and, and get a transfer face performance onto another character, for example. Hmm. Exciting times coming up. Indeed. But I mean, you're all true experts and you work with this every day, day in, day out. But can you always spot when a face in a film is digital? When it's fake? Or I mean, like, if you take... Um, uh, 
Paul Walker in, in the Fast and the Furious 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's definitely scenes that you, where you can spot that he's CG. But I'm sure there is a scene or two where you don't, um, at least where I haven't mm-hmm. realized that he's a CG character. Um, but f- for a film like uh, like Star Wars uh, Rogue One and, and Tarkin, y- you, you know that he's not real. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get fooled uh, in, in that in instance. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's very few examples that I can think of where I've realized afterwards uh, that, oh, that character was CG. Mostly I can tell. Uh, maybe not in the first scene, but a couple of scenes into the movie. But can you even watch a film without having that technical eye no. <laughs> like, dissecting on. it while you watch it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, that's very hard. Uh, that's usually why I watch films twice in the cinemas. Mm. You know, the first time it's hard to not uh, get technical uh, and sit, sit there wondering how they did it. And then you do some research afterwards and then you look at it again and try to just, you know, enjoy the film instead. That's good. And it seems like uh, you get away with, with a little bit more uh, in the cinemas. Uh So when then when you see it on on Blu-ray back home, it's uh, easier to spot what's CG and what's not. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I've, I've found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because in the cinema, it's always not maybe at 100 focus, or it's a little bit grainy. Uh, sometimes it's with 3D glasses. Uh, then when you get home, you can re- you can also freeze frame, <laughs> <laughs> which might help. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, uh, do you have a dream project? Something that you would love to create and improve? Well, for me, it's, uh, you know, something like Tarkin. Uh, like, like bringing back a, a, a Elvis or, I don't know, some something like that. Uh, He so, must have been brought back already, hasn't he? Uh, well, in the latest Blade Runner film, they did a little bit of that. But they used uh, some... They used some lost, some some uh, existing fo- footage mm. as well, but they did do a little bit of CG in that one. Um, but yeah, that's the, the. I mean, that's always con- controversial bringing back someone from the dead. But from a pu- pure sort of technical point of view, the, the, that would be a, a very fun project for me to mm. to work on. Sector. Yeah, I mean, uh, working on a project like that it would be the same. Um, Just working on a project that is not focused on CG, I think that that was a little bit of the, the difference uh, between Star Wars and maybe Borg as an example. Yeah. The audience was not expecting uh, Sverre to be CG on a couple of shots. I think most people didn't even realize that that we had a CG double for sure. Just because you're not expecting it, so it's uh, it, those kind of projects are always very rewarding yeah. when. Uh, You're trying to to really, you know, not make it uh, shine. Mm. If you don't notice the animation and you don't notice the VFX, then you su- succeeded at your job. So, yeah. um, those kind of projects would be really cool. Getting uh, getting somebody that is not for a VFX heavy film. Mm. It could be VFX heavy in terms of the amount of work, but just not, uh, you know. Con- connected to VFX heavy titles. And you, Nils? 
No, I can uh, only agree. Um, something like Venom in Bottom, where you... Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not something that is, you know, a couple of sh shots where you blur the lines between what's uh, live and live action and what's what's digital. Because um, in Venom in Bottom, for example, he, you know, it is him in a couple mm. of shots and then sometimes it's with, with prosthetics and then sometimes it's digital and there's a gray zone there where you don't really know where it, if it's CG or not. Is this part of the fun or the passion this to like uh, to trick people to like, yeah. to like hide your tricks and, and kind of yeah. the Absolutely. challenges mm. and use all the tricks that you have in your bag mm. it doesn't have to be that we stick to, to a specific one. I use the best ones for each shot. Fool, I knew that you were gonna say that. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Thanks so much for coming. I Thank hope you. to see you here again soon. Thanks. Thank you. And you out there, thanks for listening. As usual, you can find lots of links to things we talked about at our webpage, goodbyecancerstudios.com, and do mail us if you have feedback, questions, or thoughts about our pod. The mail address is, of course, podcast at goodbyecancers.com. Next week, we're going to dive into the wonderful world of disaster movies. And by that, I don't mean bad movies, but films with disasters. You know, earthquakes, collapsing buildings, and the occasional sinking ship. Why is destruction so entertaining? Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiedersehen, wie hoch.